and welcome back to the Hectic Life Podcast, the ultimate podcast to learn about everyone's hectic lives. So for today's episode, I had an amazing conversation with Sophie from Soph Does Law. She is an Osgood Law School student and we had such an amazing conversation and it was really long so I'm going to keep this life update short. This past week I I'm actually starting to get back into the swing of school and doing readings and things like that. I have taken a little bit of a backseat on this podcast, so I apologize. I'm going to try to be more consistent. A little bit of a podcast update as well. We are going to start doing bi-weekly episodes instead of weekly. Basically, I don't want to burn out. And right now with school and things, it is a little bit hectic. We're going to have a little uh, work-life balance here. So stay tuned for bi-weekly episodes of the Hectic Life podcast. So without further ado, I am just going to go into the conversation with Sophie. And I hope you all enjoy. First of all, thank you so much, Sophie, for get- coming on the podcast. This yeah. is going to be like one of the first like uh, like guest episodes. One of the first because previously it was my boyfriend. We were just like having a conversation so I kind of wanted to do like a practice run before I actually have a guest on I don't know I, I just I was just like you know I can't do it just like starting to beginning so I'm just gonna do this <laughs> well I'm so honored to be a guest thank you <laughs> no problem at all so in saying that let's go to your introduction Yeah, sounds good. Hi, everyone. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. Um, Yeah, so my name is Sophie. I am 22 years old, born and raised in Toronto, Canada, and a spring 2021 graduate of McGill University in Montreal. And I also started as a law student at Osgoode Hall Law School, which is at York University in Toronto this past fall. So I'm so excited to finally be living out my dream of something I've worked so hard and long towards, which is becoming a law student. So really excited about that. And in addition to being a student, I also run an Instagram and and YouTube channel, Soph Does Law, where I kind of get my creative side out. Like it's my creative outlet because law school is great, but it can be kind of dense sometimes. And I'm a very creative person and law isn't necessarily the most creative field. So always need to have some sort of outlet going on where I can read and write and make content. So yeah, that's been so great getting used to law school and getting acclimated and also growing my social media presence alongside with it. So at this point in my life, I'm really interested mainly in immigration and family law, but still looking and expanding to learn more. And this summer, I'm going to be working at an immigration law firm for immigrants to the U.S. So I'm really excited for that. So yeah, that's a little bit about me. Oh, I also I love food. I'm a big foodie. Love trying. Yeah. All new cuisines. That is my favorite pastime. So that's why living in Toronto and Montreal have been absolutely incredible because they're two cities with the best food scene. So trying new cuisines is my absolute favorite pastime. Absolutely. I love food too. <laughs> I Honestly, like this is a, this is another question. We're kind of spraying, but I have to ask this. Your top three restaurants in Toronto. 
Oh my gosh. What a question. Wow. Okay. So one of them definitely has to be, I recently tried this place. It's in the Yorkville area of Toronto. It's called a mall. It's a Lebanese restaurant. It has some of the best food you will ever taste. And just like the vibes are immaculate, absolutely immaculate vibes. And while I was there, Drake and his whole posse came into the restaurant and he like walked through and got ushered into this private area. So I was feeling really, really cool when that happened. I also love Pai, P-A-I. They have a couple locations around the city. It's Thai food. Absolutely delicious. They have the grapao, which is like either beef or chicken or tofu with rice and an egg on top. Oh, so good. Slapped so hard. I literally had it last night because it's on Uber Eats. So I get it a lot. And then it's so hard to narrow down, but I really like um, Blondie's Pizza. They also have a couple locations around the city. So they have a hot honey pepperoni pizza with hot peppers. Oh, it's chef's kiss like it is so good so that is trying to narrow down three off the top of my head um I could probably list out a million more and do a whole podcast episode just on my favorite restaurants in Toronto but those you are know so- what maybe next time I'm gonna bring you on and we'll we'll talk about <laughs> food I think that's gonna be the next episode so well, student and food consultant yeah exactly <laughs> wow <laughs> what a what a combination of journey <laughs> But I'm also 22 and a little bit about myself as well. I was in a law related student group. I did a lot of like a lot of networking with lawyers and stuff. Not that I want to go into law because at first I was like, you know what? I might go into law, but now I'm not really into going into law, but I do love reading cases. It's really weird. It's interesting. And it's better than like the long, dense theoretical readings. I always did an undergrad I like reading the cases more so that was a good change for me as well for sure honestly like reading the cases part I was like this is so cool and we went to western uh law school just to like do a tour and stuff it was it was really fun I was very cool I'm gonna do law right now (laughs) (laughs) but then I realized like how much work other than just reading cases is and I was like okay never mind (laughs) okay that's so valid and also good that you figured that out because I feel like so many people go into law school not knowing if it's actually the thing for them just kind of because it's a next step for a lot of people who got sort of a more general undergrad degree and it's like oh like I don't know what I'll do so I'll go to law school and I'm like very anti that like I think that's not (laughs) the best idea so good for you for recognizing that it wasn't the right move for you thank you okay (laughs) so uh going into the next part of our conversation why did you want to do law yeah so I kind of am one of those people who always wanted to do law and always wanted to go to law school from the time I was really little. So I have I have wanted to go to law school and be a lawyer for as long as I can remember. Uh, so the main thing that inspired me is I have two older siblings and both of them have already gone through law school. They're both practicing lawyers in Toronto. So they've always been a major source of inspiration for me. And the other thing that sort of happened in my journey is in grade 11, I took a law class as part of the Ontario high school curriculum. And two things that happened in that class. One is 
is I did my first mock trial, uh, which was part of the school curriculum. So that was just something that was so fun. And I don't think I want to do criminal law. I don't even think I want to do litigation, <laughs> but just that experience really turned me on to the idea of going to law school and getting to have that experience and thinking it was so fun, just doing the very basic research. Um, and then the other thing was during that class on it was actually on my birthday uh, when I was in grade 11. We did a tour of the downtown courthouse in Toronto, which is just a big, big courthouse that hears all sorts of cases, all different types of law. And there was just so many people walking through and the lawyers in their fancy long black robes and just every room you went to, there was a different type of case being heard, different areas of law um, that I was exposed to that day. And it was just kind of one of those experiences, like a core memory, like from inside out, like one of those things that really, really stuck with me. And I actually ended up writing my law school personal statements about that day because it was just something that really st stands out in my mind. And then as I got into undergrad, so I did a BA in history and world religions at McGill. So tons of researching, tons of writing, tons of reading. I am always someone that has loved words much more than numbers. I stay away and hide away from numbers as much as humanly possible. So I just really thought that my skills and experiences I got in my undergrad would be really compatible with going to law school and being a law student. So I had this whole journey planned out. I went into my undergrad, really motivated, really inspired. And then my first year of McGill finished and my grades were definitely not the best. I did not adjust to undergrad as seamlessly as I hoped I would. And my dreams of going to law school kind of were challenged in that moment because I would look at what the grades that I was getting and, you know, I feel like everyone who's wanted to go to law school at, at once in their life has Googled like average GPA for law admissions, Ontario to see what comes up. And I, at that moment, thought that my law school dreams were dashed, that I was never going to be able to go. I sort of went through a little crisis. I wanted to drop out of the BA program and switch into the Bachelor of Education program and become a teacher instead. I wanted to leave McGill completely and switch to Concordia and do a creative writing undergrad instead like I was kind of in shambles at the end of my first year but slowly things began to change as I progressed through McGill I started getting the hang of it like every undergrad tends to do I started finding you know the balance going out three nights a week instead of six nights a week and so managing to fit some more studying in between. So as I progressed through McGill, I started getting involved with extracurriculars like the pre-law society at McGill. And I was an editor for the pre-law undergraduate journal. And once I started finding myself again in undergrad, once I found my program, I declared my majors. They were majors that I really loved and inspired me to do better and pay more attention to my schoolwork. I realized that I was capable of attending law school one day, and I did have those skills that could make me a good law student. So I'm ending the end of my degree. It's the summer after my third year, and another massive roadblock comes my way, which was the LSAT. I, yeah, I, I think there are people who are born to take the LSAT where they have to study for like one day and then they go in and they get a near perfect score. And there's people whose brains just do not compute with the LSAT. <laughs> and it takes triple, quadruple the amount of time to study and get prepared. And so I ended up writing the LSAT twice. The first time I wrote it, I came out feeling so good about it. I was like, oh my God, I just killed that. Like I can get into what any whatever school I want. 
and I got my score back and it was the most disappointing moment of my life so far, probably, which sounds crazy to say, but just after all of that work, months of work and dedication, I had never worked harder for anything in my life up to that point. And to just get such a disappointing mark that was not even close to the level of any of the law schools I wanted to apply to was so disheartening. And again, I thought it was over. I started Googling sports media certificates that I could transfer to. I started Googling masters in creative writing programs. Like I was ready again to change my trajectory because I thought my law school dreams were over, but that lasted about a week. I had about a week of self-pity and then I got back on the, on the wagon. I calmed and collected myself and wrote the LSAT again in August of 2020. And that time when I was taking it, I felt like it went terribly and I had no idea what I was going to do, but then I got my score back and it was a score I was really happy with and was at the level of the law schools that I wanted to apply to. So that brought me to the fall 2020 admissions cycle. I applied to law schools in Ontario and I was so happy to get into a number of really great choices. I ended up choosing Osgood and I am so happy I did. It's definitely the right fit for me. And that brings me to today, second semester of my 1L, first year of law school, absolutely loving it and so happy I sort of braved and weathered those storms and I took the time to feel sad for myself and feel everything I needed to feel, but I also never gave up on this thing that I knew was a long-term dream of mine and I kept telling myself that I could do it if I put my mind to it, so that brings me to today and, and I'm so happy I powered through. Honestly, that's honestly the best story I've ever heard <laughs> because I have, I, when I went for these like networking events and stuff, I would talk to law school students or like lawyers and I would ask them about the LSATs because I was like, this is, seems like a very weird test. And um, I would get really mixed answers because some people would be like, oh, I studied for like a day and like, it's, it's fine. Like, it's totally okay. You don't really have to put too much effort into it. But there were other people who were like, I spent six months in yeah. a locked room with all the practice tests preparing for the LSAT. Those are extremes in their own way. I think that everyone will find their balance who wants to write the LSAT. It's like, it's definitely a spectrum. On one end, you have the people who diligently study and don't take any breaks. And on the other end, you have those people who don't have to study and just write the test completely blind and do really well. It, it is weird to hear from people how different their experiences can be with the test. And it can be really disheartening if you know, someone tells you it was so easy for them, but you're finding it really challenging. So in terms of the LSAT, my advice is always drown out the noise around you, uh, which is a really useful skill to learn when you're taking the LSAT, because it's also something you'll have to do in law school a lot. Like in law school, people just be talking, like people just be saying words and have no idea what they're saying. So that is a really important skill blocking out the noise that I think everyone has to develop sort of early on if they do want to go to law school. But yeah, totally get how weird it can be hearing like those completely different experiences with the same stupid test a hundred percent so what was it like the day that you got your Osgood acceptance oh the day I got my Osgood acceptance so it was right towards the end of the first round of Ontario law school acceptances which happens the first round goes from mid-December to uh the end of March 
March 31st is the last day. So it's a really long time to be waiting and waiting and refreshing. And like, there's no warning when different rounds of acceptances are just going to drop. So I had already gotten acceptances from some amazing schools, but I was really holding out for Osgood because I did just have this feeling, this gut feeling that it was going to be the right place for me. And I was really frustrated because with COVID applications for my cycle, the 2020 admission cycle were up. Like there was so many more people applying than in usual years. So I was really frustrated because it was getting to the end of the first round. I was thinking to myself, you know, this is too bad because I feel like in any other year, I probably would have gotten an acceptance, but I don't think an acceptance for me is in the cards. So I was, I was pretty bummed out, so grateful for my other acceptances, because of course there are tons of people who didn't even get one acceptance. And I felt so lucky to have multiple, but of course it's always disappointing to not hear back from your first choice. So we're on to the last week of March. I had already accepted that I probably wasn't getting an acceptance. One very snowy day in Montreal, I woke up and I opened my email and I saw congratulations on your admission to Osgood Hall. I had to read it about four different times to make sure I was seeing it properly. I called my parents. I had a little celebration with my roommates in Montreal. And it was just this really great feeling of knowing that I worked so hard because I am not someone who was born with the natural skill set to, you know, do really, really well in school without trying, to do really well on the LSAT without trying. And there are people like that and they are so lucky and I'm so happy for them. I hold no resentment towards them, but I'm definitely someone who had to work hard to get to that point. So it was such a rewarding feeling and I was just so grateful to be surrounded by people that care about me and shared the joy of that achievement with me. So it was just such a great feeling. And like the happiness of that moment has kind of stuck with me even to today as I go through Osgood and I just get to enjoy what an amazing institution it is. And I feel so lucky to be doing what I love, which is learning the law every day. Like it's so cool that I get to get out of bed in the morning and learn about public and constitutional law, learn about criminal law, like learn about property law, learn about these things I'm so interested in. So it's really, it's really just such a privilege to have. And I've always tried to, when things get tough or when things get challenging, just always remember that when I do put my mind to something, if I work at it, great things can happen. So it was so awesome. I can imagine. That's honestly, that's honestly great. It's, I can't imagine the like level of happiness. Happiness was high. That you bet. (laughs) I can imagine that. The way that you were describing it, it reminded me of how I felt when I got my first co-op, like my first co-op job. I was, I, by that point, I had already applied to like 200 postings. I was literally done. I thought that, you know what, this summer, I'm just not going to have a co-op and I'm just going to have to go back to school and that's going to be that and nothing's going to change. And then lo and behold, I got, I got a co-op position in March, like literally March. There you go. March (laughs) is a good month for both of us, I guess. Yeah, I guess. Towards the end of March, actually. So that was, I relate that, relate to that happiness so much. I was just going to say, I think it's made us stronger, you know, like not getting something right away and having to work for it is always so good for character building and just to be able to hold on to that feeling. So a hundred percent. I totally agree with you. Cause like later on when I don't get other positions or when I'm doing other things, I always remind myself, I'm like, I did 
like 200 applications, mm -hmm. I'll be fine. <laughs> there you go. Okay, with that being said, going into your law school journey and going into law school right now, uh, what was your first class like? Sure. So my last semester was hybrid. So I got some classes online, some classes in person. I was very lucky because now I'm fully online for the foreseeable future. So now I just take those in-person days and like think so, like I just cling to them and like think of those happy memories. So my very, very first class was online at my house. Um, it was for a class called ethical lawyering. And I was so nervous that day and so nervous to raise my hand. Uh, and because I hadn't really gotten to know my section yet, I was so scared to say anything because even though everyone was probably only thinking about themselves and worrying about themselves, I was so scared of saying the wrong thing and like being judged. Whereas now I talk in class and I just say the first thought that comes to my mind, like what I say in class now is basically stream of consciousness because my section is so supportive and I know they would never judge me. But that first day was hard because I feel like being online, you can't see people's reactions around you. You can't really see how people are receiving you. And there's just so much nervous energy coming through the computer. So that was tough. And then I was a little thrown off because that whole first little bit when I was online for ethical lawyering, I didn't raise my hand once. I never contributed in class because I was too nervous. And I was like, oh, this is kind of a shame because I used to be someone in undergrad that always contributed to class, that was always super confident in what I was saying. I got a lot of joy out of contributing in class. So I was like, I guess in law school, I'm just not going to be that person anymore, which was kind of a tough pill to swallow. But then Fast forward to a couple of weeks later, my first in-person class was my tort law class. So that's like private civil law, basically when in like a person sues another person rather than, you know, in criminal law, it's the government versus an offender. So my tort law class, the very first day, my professor comes in wearing a long black cloak, <laughs> like this like hooded cloak. And he tells the class, I'm an evil deity and I am going to take three souls from this class. And in return, you get your greatest wish that all of you have to agree upon together. What you all have to decide as a group is if you're going to make this deal with me. You can ask me any questions you want. And we just spent the whole two-hour class asking tons of questions, talking amongst ourselves. He was going around the room listening to everyone's questions. It was just such a fun, engaging activity. And I probably raised my hand three times in that class, just because I was having so much fun that I was, I didn't even think about being nervous anymore. And everyone was cracking jokes, having a great time, like trying to figure out this puzzle, like what point he was trying to get at. And then finally, at the end of the two hour class, he was like, the questions that you all asked me throughout this class are going to become very relevant to our study of tort law. So I think he start, started off the class in such a great way. It really broke the ice all of my nerves went out the window and it also gave the, the class like a better opportunity to get to know each other. So that was my first in-person class. And that's kind of what I think of as my real first law school class, because when I think back to my first class of law school, that's probably what I'll always think of. And 
it just that fun energy is something he kind of kept throughout the whole semester and we all feel so lucky that we had that in my section so and I didn't think that law school classes could actually be fun I thought the professors were all really stuffy and like there was this huge power imbalance and they like got off on being like powerful and super smart but he just made it so fun and enjoyable and started off the year for us really well that's so sweet oh my god but and I think he also knew that to make everyone feel comfortable like he has to break the ice and this is the best way to do so and I feel oh my god that is so good. I had one class where it's not, it was in a law school class, but it was an undergrad class where my professor was basically like, who has uh, talents? And he went around the class and this was in person. It was when we had in-person classes and he came around to me and he was like, you, what talent do you have? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> what talent <laughs> do I have? <laughs> and I was like, um, singing, I guess. And then he was like, oh, okay, go sing then. And I was like, I just made a face at him and I was just like, excuse me? He's <laughs> like, go and sing. And he basically made me stand up in front of class and just sing. And then I went back to class and that was my first class. That was really weird. But Talk about breaking the ice. Oh yeah. After that, I made friends with everyone in the class. It was great. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> I remember in undergrad, I had this anthropology professor and one time he brought in a magician. I truly could not tell you how it related to the course or why he did that. But like this guy was just out here juggling, doing magic tricks, like truly no idea how it related related to the class but that is something I'll always remember from my undergrad yeah I, I think it's just to make an impression <laughs> with that I also have another question for your first class did you do all of your readings oh that would be a hard no <laughs> I did not start getting into the hang of doing law school readings until about a month in and that's because in law school you don't necessarily have to do all the readings there's going to be some classes where the readings are going to be highly critical and there's going to be some classes where the readings are not important at all so my tip for anyone that's interested in going to law school or any new law students is start off by doing the readings as much as you can and sort of suss out which classes it's going to be important for and which classes it's not because a lot of the times in law school your professor will assign let's say a 60 page case and there will only be one main detail they want you to get out of the case. So reading the whole 60 page case is pointless because they're just going to explain the main point they want you to get out of it in class anyways. Um, so that is my key tip. Try to skim things if you can, um, but once you start getting into the classes a bit more and you start getting used to your professors and their style of teaching, you'll be able to figure out what classes you need to read for and what classes you can get away with skimming or even not reading for. The 60 pages and stuff like oof. so extra and at the end of the day we got to work smarter not harder like it wouldn't be the best use of your time to read all 60 pages of that case when the professor just wants you to get one main point out of it you know what I mean yeah exactly so how do you how do you suss out whether or not your prof wants you to read the whole thing or just skim or not read at all yeah so a lot of the times they'll actually indicate it in class. My tours professor that I was talking about, for example, he I started off by trying to read the cases super in depth and taking note of all of the procedural history and all of the important facts and took the most detailed notes. And then I got in on the first day and he was like, OK, so you could have just skimmed the head note for this. The main point I wanted you to get was. And I was like, okay, there's something I did not do right here. So 
from then on when that class, I never read a single case in its entirety. I just read the head note and also used supplementary materials online. And that was never, ever an issue. But then for other classes, there would be a much larger emphasis on the readings and sort of the professor wouldn't explain outright what they wanted us to get from the reading. They would say, you know, what are your thoughts? What are your perspectives? What did you get out of this case? And in instances like that, where they were more asking rather than telling, I realized, okay, paying attention to the cases is probably important here. But at the end of the day in law school, it's really just about getting those main points out. Uh, We call it the issue, the main issue of the case and the holding, which was the judge's decision in the case. If you can get those points out and sort of how the issue relates to the larger justice system, like what the issue of this case tells us about the law in Canada as a whole. If you can just get those three things down, then you'll be totally fine. Figuring out the readings part, I feel like is a a challenge in any like course. Do you feel like you have like an ideal routine down for yourself now? Oh, good question. So I was never someone that read ahead in undergrad, like you would catch me in the library at 2am the night before class doing my reading for the next day. But I do try to keep a week ahead in law school in terms of my readings, just because small things will come up during the week, like a study group wants to meet or small discussion posts I have to do. So when those things come up, it feels really good to know that I have my readings down and I'm prepared for class. So Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays are my big days. That started out first semester, and that's something I'm going to try to carry with me next semester. Friday last year, last semester, I had no class on Fridays, completely free. And This semester, I just have one class in the morning. So it's basically a three-day weekend, which is so nice and gives me lots of time to get ahead on my readings for the following week. And I think that's really important because on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I still have what I learned the past week, at least fresh hanging around in my mind. So I can draw those connections between what I learned in the previous week and what we're going to be learning next week. Of course, I slip up sometimes. Sometimes I spend my entire weekends reading Netflix and don't get around to doing the readings until the night before or the day of. But generally, if even if I have one week where I didn't read ahead, I try to get back on track for the next week, just because I know at the end of the day, it takes a lot of stress off of me during the weekdays when I have my actual classes to know that I'm ready and prepared for them. So yeah, I try to do Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and try to be done before Sunday night so I can have Sunday night to just fully reset and chill. But yeah, in an ideal world, that would be my schedule, but it definitely doesn't always happen. With having this like straight routine and stuff, there's, I feel like there's a lot to juggle So how do you keep yourself organized with so many things going on? For sure. So yeah, I'm a full-time student and I also do social media. I have a part-time job at Osgood and I do extracurriculars. So there's definitely a lot to keep up with. My best friend is to-do lists. I do not have any sort of fancy planner or, you know, fancy template for to-do lists. I just have the notes app on my computer that has a short-term to-do list and a long-term to-do list. And that's because I feel like when tasks are floating around in your head, they can seem much bigger than they actually are, and they can seem much more daunting than they actually are. So just having everything I need to do written out helps me conceptualize exactly what I have to do, and it makes it feel a lot more achievable. So to-do lists are my everything. I also use just the digital iMac calendar that comes with my MacBook. I know a lot of people in law school actually 
use um, Google calendars. They think that's really helpful because you can sync a lot of different like streams of calendars into one, which I've heard is very helpful, but I've never been able to figure it out. So I just stick with my trusty Matt calendar. Google calendar has been my savior for like the past four years. It is, they're right in terms of the different calendars because I do have many different calendars within one. And I was just uh, telling my boyfriend last week that when I was working in co-op and I had like five days a week, working five days a week and had my weekend, my calendar was so empty because like there wasn't as much to do. So I just like just had work. And then in the evening, I would just like, you know, relax or, you know, cook if I felt like it or do something like that. Now with school starting again, (laughs) my calendar. Oh, my God. I'm just going to show you. You'll you're going to like it is insane. (laughs) This is what my calendar looks like now. Yeah. (laughs) So just for people that are listening. My calendar looks crazy. I have tens and thousands of different things. There's hardly any time for anything. Oh my God. (laughs) There's guys, there's a lot of color coding happening here. Oh, so much color coding. Color coding is my best friend. Anything that's purple is me studying. But that's, that's like, that's kind of overwhelming maybe, but it's better that it's out there rather than floating around in your head. Exactly. I have like two methods. I do have my Google calendar to kind of see how I see how my day goes. And then I also have like a traditional just written down to-do list that I keep on on like a notebook. Again, like you said, it's nothing fancy. It's just like boxes and what to do. So I usually just do that. It's, <laughs> it's a very simple system, but I know it works. So Yeah, simple and effective. That's what's exactly. important. Exactly. It's simple and effective. Plus also like seeing what's going to happen during the day. It like keeps me like accountable, I guess. It's like sure. I see what it is and I'm like, okay, that that's what I need to get done. Honestly, the iMac calendar as well. I've tried using it and it's really good as well. It just doesn't sync up really well with my phone. So okay. fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. It's so user friendly for the most part. So that's why I just stick with it. And the other thing I did recently is I used to be one of those people that had always 5,000 plus unread emails. And I just decided over the winter break that it was time to fix that. So I did a massive email declutter, went through, I now have zero unread emails and I unsubscribed myself from all of the junk subscription mailing lists that I was on and unsubscribed from all of those and I just feel like a new person I really feel like a changed person a hundred percent clearing the inbox it's I don't even know why people keep that many because I know that my boyfriend does that as well as well as my sister they always keep all the unread emails there felt so good to clean I am never going back exactly because once you clean it up then you go back and you're like oh wow I can just like I only have to sift through the ones that actually came in a hundred percent I totally get that okay (laughs) finding a job in the field so what has been your journey with summer jobs? So I've just, I'm just a first year law student. So things are much less structured for first years. Once you get into your second and third year, looking for jobs becomes a more structured thing and becomes like a bigger, scarier deal. <laughs> I don't know if any of the listeners have heard of the OCI process, which means on-campus interviews. So if you're a law student, that's something that, you know, becomes a pretty big deal when you get 
get into your second year. They happen during the fall of your second year. But for right now, I don't have to worry about that. There is a structured first year recruit in some cities in Canada. So there is a Toronto structured recruit, you know, in Ottawa, London, Ontario, Halifax. There are some structured first year recruits, but I stayed away from that because they were pretty much exclusively big corporate law firms, which was not the thing that I was most interested in for this summer. So I did not partake in the structured recruit. The applications were actually just due the other night. So if anyone's listening that did apply, congrats, good luck, sending good vibes your way. So for me, I applied outside of the structured recruit, just to any postings I could find on Indeed, LinkedIn, and I'm actually going abroad. I'm doing uh, work at an American immigration law firm. So I figured since things are about to get more structured next year, this is kind of my last summer to travel and have fun. So that was definitely something on my mind, getting out of Canada, COVID permitting, uh, especially because I obviously have not left Canada since March of 2020. So when that opportunity came my way, I definitely jumped on it. And I think uh, for a first year law student, it's sometimes hard to find legal experience as a first year or even as an undergrad who's looking for legal experience because I know that was always something I was looking for. So two things, my two pieces of advice are one, cast your net as widely as possible. Just apply to anything that you could be remotely interested in. You definitely get that with your 200 (laughs) co-op placement applications. You know the art of casting your net widely for sure. The other piece of advice I have is if you find a place that you think you could be interested in working at, there's no harm in sending an email, uh, just a cold email sort of introducing yourself, maybe attaching your CV, expressing that you'd be interested in doing summer work with this firm or anywhere you want to work really. Nine times out of 10, you're probably not going to get a response or it's going to be a no, but you know, you'll never know if you don't try. So takes two seconds to send an email, might as well just try and put yourself out there. So yeah, those are my main tips and I'm really excited for the summer. The Castro net wide is, it's such a good like piece of advice because not a lot of people talk about it. They always talk about how, you know, you should tell your resume and make it personalized. And I just feel like there needs to be a good balance of like quality mm-hmm. as well as quantity. You actually end up getting something or actually getting a callback. Definitely a great piece of advice. So for law, like how do you feel applying to jobs in the legal field is different from something like project management? So I think because there are structured job recruits that are like run by the Law Society of Ontario, I'm talking about Ontario specifically right now, but generally wherever you are, applying for jobs in law will be pretty structured recruits that have certain rules and guidelines. And I feel like a lot of law schools do push their students in the direction of doing their structured recruits. So I think what can be challenging sometimes is a lot of people feel pressured to do those recruits and that those are the best or the only option. And that's tough, A, if you're not someone who wants to do, you know, a big job like that and you want to go outside the recruit, there could be some stigma associated with that. Or B, you're someone who doesn't get placed with a job through that formal recruit. And some people I know for them, that would be a mark of real disappointment or letdown. So I think with law, it's challenging because the schools really do push their students in that direction. But I think it's important to remember that there are tons of great 
boutique firms, smaller firms, sole practitioners can even go up to mid-sized firms um, that do not partake in formal recruits. They have their own recruiting structures. And I think it's just really important for any law students or anyone interested in law to realize that you are worth just as much as someone who does get a job through the formal recruit. And, you know, if you're someone that wants the recruit, that's incredible and that's great. But if you're someone who you know it's not for you, don't feel pressured to go in that direction because there's still so many more options out there. For me, I'm someone that sees myself more in a smaller firm, maybe like a boutique firm or working with a sole practitioner. So I'm not pressuring myself to you know, it's the formal recruiter bust. Like I'm definitely going to open myself up to any opportunities that are available to me. And yeah, just know that you're awesome. Whether you get a job through the formal recruit, whether you get a job outside the recruit, whether you completely change fields and don't end up practicing law, whether you go into academia, if you decide you want to teach, like there's so, so many options out there. And no matter what option you pick, as long as it makes you happy, that means it's the right option for you. I completely agree with you. That's literally how it should be. As long as you're happy, everything is fine. The level of pressure there is to go for certain things, there's a lot. And I, I kind of understand that in law school, there's a lot more pressure because since you have a, a whole group of people that may be going towards one thing, it's kind of difficult to go against it. Right. So- now I want to play a little game. <laughs> uh, we're going to play a little expectations versus reality of law school. So there's like 13 here. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you, I'm going to say an expectation and then you can give me if it's real or not. You can give me a reality check if it's not. <laughs> so excited. Okay, awesome. All right. The first one is law school is going to have so many interesting classes. That is a definite reality law school classes are super, super interesting. And I think will only get more interesting as I progress through my degree, because when you're a first year law student, your course schedule is set for you. You don't get to choose any of your classes. You just have to do what the law school tells you to do. So even now I find them really interesting. And I think as you progress through your degree and you get to take upper year courses and get to narrow down into your area of interest, it just will get even better and better. So that is definitely a reality having so much fun with my law school classes find them very interesting amazing the next one is readings cannot be done before class i would say that is not necessarily a reality i think that there are some classes where it will be possible and important to do the readings before class and then other classes where maybe it makes more sense to first listen to what the professor has to say and only go through the readings after to supplement the important points that the professor talked about. So I would say this can be a reality in some cases, but it's not true for every class across the board. Amazing. Third one is if I work hard enough, my grades are going to be the same as college. That is definitely not a reality. And if you are a keener, you definitely have to prepare yourself for that. It is very hard to get top, top grades in law school because law schools are marked on a curve. For example, the curve at Osgood is a B curve. So I think either 60 or 70% of the class gets a B, which is obviously a really great grade. And that could be what you get in undergrad, but a lot of people who go to law school are super high achievers and are not used to getting Bs. Um, And the other thing that's important about law school is when you're marked on a curve, 
there will be so many people who know the law as well as you do and can even probably explain it as well as you do. But the difference between a B and an A can just be someone randomly writing something that the professor personally decides that they like that day. Or someone can write something that was never talked about in class that the professor decides they really like. Like that's the one thing I learned this year. The difference between a B and an A can be the most minuscule weird thing and a lot of the times it's completely out of your control. Um, the other thing is that having an all ache transcript is uh, basically unheard of at least at my law school my dean of students said in her like 10 or so years in the position she had only seen it once so I think that hard work is important and hard work is necessary, but not to beat yourself up, even if you feel you've really given it your all and you don't get the grade you wanted or were expecting, because there's so many forces with law school grading that are completely out of your control and just up to the prof's personal discretion. I did not know that, but nice to know. Well, I think it's it's important for people who want to go to law school to know that in advance, because it would kind of be a bit jarring to get there and only know once you've started that that's the case. So sure, yeah. Yeah. So I, I definitely like to be very transparent and candid about that, but hard work is definitely still important and can get you very far. The next expectation is I'm going to argue with people in class and feel super accomplished. Um, I think that is the reality in movies, not in real life. People in law school at least in my experience, this is only speaking from my experience, are pretty chill. There is some healthy debate in class that happens sometimes, but, you know, some when people uh, are just looking to argue or are just looking for fights, it's kind of not like a flex. It's kind of just like, why, why are you doing this? <laughs> like, it's a little annoying. There's definitely a difference between healthy debate in class and people that just want to argue for the sake of arguing or think it's cool and law student-like to just pick arguments and challenge people for no reason. I think anytime I've tried, uh, someone has tried to argue, like, for not a good reason in class, they've kind of gotten shut down by the professor. So just definitely know the difference between healthy debate and arguing for the sake of arguing, I'd say. That was a reality check too. Uh, <laughs> the next one is I'm going to make so many friends. Luckily for me, this is a reality. Of course, this will depend on a person to person basis. But for the most part, I do think people go into law school looking to make friends because you're all going through a new experience together. And when you're going through a new experience, it's obviously comforting to have people that relate to what you're going through and share in the same experiences that you're going through. So I'm so fortunate to have made amazing friends at Osgood and to just have been placed in a really friendly section. I don't know if it's just my section or that's how everyone is at the end of the day, but everyone I've met has been really awesome looking to make friendships and looking to make connections. And I think that having friendships in law school can be really, really beneficial because friends can also be study group partners, can also be partners for moots or other extracurriculars, can be people you can pull all-nighters with in the library. So for me, my law school friends are probably my favorite part of law school so far, and I am so lucky that this was a reality for me. Amazing. 
I'm so happy for you. The next expectation is law school is a 24-7 job. I would say this could be a reality if you wanted it to be, but it's not necessary that this is your reality. Law school is definitely busy. And, you know, professors, as I said before, will assign multiple 60 to 80 page readings twice a week for each class. And you could be the type of person that reads every single one of those assigned readings, takes very, very detailed notes and really spends all their time in law school. That's definitely an option. Or you can be someone that, you know, dedicates a good amount of time to law school, but also leaves time for extracurricular commitments, also leaves time for their personal relationships, also leaves time to have a social life. I think law school can very much be something that you do strike a balance with other aspects of your life if you want it to. I thought that going into law school, I would have no time for any of my friends or any of my personal relationships, and I would just have my nose in the books all the time, but that hasn't been the case so far. So I've been able to find a balance, and I think it's super, super possible for anyone to find a balance if they put their mind to it. Work-life balance is a need, not a want. Absolutely. The next expectation is Study groups are the best way to study in law school. So for me, this I would say this is a reality just because having other people to lean on is so helpful when, for example, there's a concept you're not really understanding. If you have a study group, it's most likely that someone else is probably going to understand uh, what you're looking for. Or at the very least, none of you understand it and you can all commiserate together on the fact that you don't understand it and you can feel better about yourself. But on a serious note, being able to divide up readings, being able to share and exchange notes, being able to get more than just your own perspective on the materials that you've been taught can be super helpful in my experience. Um, So for me, this is a reality, but this can definitely change depending on the person. There are certainly people in my section in my year that study best on their own. Um, So I would say go into law school with an open mind. You don't necessarily have to think, oh, I need a study group or I'll fail or oh, I'm definitely only going to study on my own. I don't want a study group. Try to go in, try out, see how it goes for the first little bit, um, and then decide which strategies work best for you from there. I am not the kind of person that can do study groups, but I know a lot of people who can, and it's the be- it's so good to make friends. For sure. And I was never a study group person until law school. I was a very, very independent worker all through my undergrad, but for me getting into law school, it became really beneficial to have a study group. So it can also change. Yeah, exactly. The next expectation is once you do law school, jobs are so easy. Oh, that is not a reality. (laughs) Uh, I think law school will give you some really great foundational skills that you can apply to the next phases of your life like jobs, but it's definitely not easy, especially not in the legal market. And again, this can depend on what type of job you're doing, but for the most part, it will still be challenging, rewarding, but challenging um, once you get into the job market. I do think for the most part, my school prepares their students well for when they do eventually practice and enter the workforce. With that being said, is life going to be like an episode of Suits? That is a definite not reality. <laughs> I I think there's so much media about law school and being a lawyer that obviously dramatizes the experience so much. And it's such a fun genre of entertainment to consume. Like how to get away with murder is one of my most 
favorite TV shows ever. But that is not the law school experience. <laughs> for the, I mean, maybe in some school out there, that is the law school experience. But for the most part, I don't think that's the case. Uh, same with suits and being a practicing lawyer. You know, I'm sure there are certain individuals who work in corporate law out there that could have some experiences that overlap. But for the most part, like what Grey's Anatomy is to medicine, what the West Wing is to politics. I think a lot of the time um, media does not match up with the day-to-day -day life of these professions, but it can still be a really fun thing to fantasize and dream about. <laughs> I honestly, I thought I was going to do law after I watched Suits, but no, <laughs> that's not happening. <laughs> I really thought I was going to do it though. <laughs> the next expectation is law school breeds a toxic cutthroat culture. Hmm. That's a good one. I think, again, this could be a reality, but it depends on who your entering class is. So when you think about it, the circumstances do kind of lend themselves to creating a cutthroat culture. Because law schools are marked on a curve, that means, unfortunately, these people who are your friends and classmates, you are competing with them for the 10% of the class who gets A's, you're competing with them for on-campus interviews, for limited job positions, for extracurricular positions. So I think certain groups can take that and turn it into something really toxic where they're not going to uplift each other and only learn about themselves, worry about themselves. For my section, at least, that has not been the case. Everyone is super friendly, willing to help each other. Um, at Osgood, that generally seems to be the experience across the board from the older students and even now practicing lawyers who went to Osgood have all had the same experience, which is that the curve and the competition has not been used to tear each other down, but rather to build each other up and support each other. So again, this could be a reality. It's kind of just a gamble based on the type of people that end up being placed in your section and in your year. But for me, this has not been a reality. That's sweet. The next expectation is law school professors will put you on the spot. Okay, this is a really good one because a lot of people don't know that in Canada, generally, law schools do not use the cold calling method. I think a lot of people actually don't even consider law school to be an option because they're so scared of cold calling. But generally Canadian, that's that's more the American law school style. American law schools do cold call for sure. Um, but if you're interested in staying in Canada, that is not, I don't, I'm not going to say that no law schools do it because I don't want to spread fake news. But for the most part, generally, at least I can say with confidence, the majority do not use the cold calling method. There could be some individual professors in some certain classes that like to do cold calling, but I've never experienced it in law school. And even if I did experience it, I would feel very comfortable to say, you know, I don't have the answer to your question at this time. Could you come back to me after? And I don't think anyone, at least in my section, would judge me for that or would think less of me for that. So I think cold calling can be a useful tool because it means you're probably ready to talk about the materials for the most part that are happening in that upcoming class. But I like the Canadian method because you can share if you want to, but you're not forced to share, uh, which for me, I think is a more effective learning style, but that's just one girl's opinion. Oh, for sure. You don't want to be scared when you go to class. Yeah. So the next expectation is I'm going to feel very put together in law school. Ooh, that is a not reality, <laughs> at least not for me. Um, 
I'm sure there are some very competent, very capable people out there who feel put together 100% of the time in law school, but I have yet to meet one. (laughs) If they exist, I feel like they're really rare. You know, law school is a new experience for everyone. Law school is so interesting because it's not something that you can fully prepare yourself for. Um, It's not in the same way where if you're going to a different grad program, you can know everything there is to know about your field of interest, know all of the facts, be super prepared. Since law school is not about memorization because all law school exams are open book, law school is all about analysis. There's no real way to know everything there is to know about law school before actually going through it and experiencing it. When I started in September, actually, I was a little concerned because I just went from undergrad right to law school, and which actually wasn't the most common thing. A lot of people in my section had worked at law firms for a number of years, had worked as law clerks, legal assistants, had done masters in criminology or legal studies. And I thought, gosh, like, am I already starting at a disadvantage? But really the playing field is leveled when everyone starts out law school together because it's not something you can really prepare yourself for. So because of that, I feel like law school is really everyone just swimming really fast. That's why I feel like everyone is doing doggy paddle, trying to keep their heads above water in law school. That's a great answer. (laughs) (laughs) With that being said, um, the last expectation that I have on here is that Assignments in law schools are not an all-nighter. That is a definite reality if you manage your time well, because I can so see a situation where I would leave, for example, my legal memorandum assignment last semester. If I had left that to the night before, that for sure would have been an all-nighter. But for the most part, with law school assignments, if you do little chunks at a time over a week or over a couple of days, Uh, you definitely will not need to pull any all-nighters. I have yet to pull an all-nighter. And the only situation in which I could see myself having to is if I really was just not feeling my work until the night before it was due. Um, So again, this could be a reality depending on the situation, but it doesn't have to be a reality. Do you think that you can actually finish an assignment for law school in a night? Um, For me, no, because I think it would just be words that don't make sense if I tried to do that. But there are some people in my section who I can definitely see being able to do a whole law school assignment in a night. Okay. With that being said, we're basically towards the end of our episode. So I'm going to leave all of Sophie's socials and YouTube channel and everything in the show notes. Thank you, Sophie, for being on the Hectic Life podcast. Oh my gosh, thank you for having me. This was so fun. Um, I said before we started recording, this is my first time as a podcast guest. So this was very fun. And I hope you all found this interesting. I hope so too. Honestly, this is a great conversation. <laughs> ah, I think so too. And I, I love the pod. So I love the first few episodes. So I'm just so happy you asked me to be on. Thank you. That was so sweet. I honestly didn't think anyone was going to listen. I was just like, I'm just going to start it. We'll see what happens later. All right. Oh my God. I can't believe you made it to the end of this episode. Uh, Thank you all so much for listening. And if you enjoy this podcast, just give me a review on Spotify or Apple, please. Thank you. And you can also find all of Sophie's information in the show notes and my information as well. So follow me on Instagram for some work-life balance, self-care, career advice. 
and I'll see you all in the next episode. Bye!